everybody, and welcome to So Important. We have a very special guest with us today. Tosh Berman is a well-known and highly respected author and publisher in Los Angeles, California. In January, his new book entitled Tosh, Growing Up in Wallace Berman's World, will be published. And in this book, Tosh chronicles his amazing history, Growing Up as the Son of the Well-Known Artist Wallace Berman. I've read Tosh's book, and the cavalcade of characters and adventures throughout his life makes this an engaging, informative, and always entertaining book. Now, Tosh, thank you very much for being with us, and welcome to the show. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I am hoping you can tell us a little bit about yourself and about your dad and his art. Uh, my father uh, is a renowned artist who passed away in 1976, and he made collages. He did he worked with photos, and he did like photo collages or a mixture, like um, mixed media works. He became well known through that work, pretty much within the art world community. He's well known in the art world. He's very well known uh, through his art contemporaries, uh, people such as uh, Andy Warhol, Ed Ruscher, um Marcel Duchamp. They all knew of his work and they knew of him. I was raised in a very, very bohemian landscape or world because my father was very much of an outsider of, uh, of American culture at that time. And he's very much part of what they call the beat generation or the beats, and sometimes known in the commercial world as the beatniks. Uh, I was raised in a sort of underground world where um, I was not really exposed to the outside world that much due to being at home all the time with my father and mother. And through my book, I'm sort of investigating my, my life with my parents, but also comparing my life with my parents with the outside world. Because when I started going to school, seeing outside friends, outside of that war art world, I definitely noticed there was a big difference between the life I was living at the time as, as well as life outside of the beach world. You had a different kind of environment growing up. And part of that is no doubt what you're referring to here. But also your dad was a bit of an enigmatic figure in some ways. He had some quirks and that seemed to carry over into how he raised you. He was the king of court, he, but he was still a loving father. He was a very quiet individual, and we did not actually have many, many conversations. And uh, I pretty much hung out with him in his, his studio. And um, I basically had to be very quiet around him due to his work. So I learned from an early young age to sort of be in the background and not be in the foreground. And I spent many, many hours with my father, and he, uh, I, I actually helped him in the studio by holding up frames for him, um, getting him things in, in the studio, and most important, be the DJ. He had a turntable and a lot of vinyl, and my job was to keep the music going on while he's working. Well, that's a, a very interesting point, because in the book, you talk about some of the connections that you had with him, and one of the ones that you specified was music. Music is very, very strong uh, in, in our family. So yes, it was, a very, it was a very strong connection. And what would he listen to and how did that influence you? And then how were you able to influence him in his music? I don't think I really influenced him. My father had a genius ear that he could pick up new things right away. My father's background was love for uh, bebop jazz. He was one of those guys in the 40s who used to go to the black community in Los Angeles to all the black uh, uh, jazz clubs. And he met people like uh, Miles Davis and Polonius Monk, and most important, Charlie Parker. He actually, my dad, as a teenager, did the first album cover for Charlie Parker, a, a 78 that was produced by Donald Records in Los Angeles. So my dad did the cover for that. That was like his roots, the jazz, bebop, jazz world. He had a great appreciation for uh, rock and roll uh, as the years go on. And 
he was actually the person who brought in interesting albums to the household. He had like albums by the Fugs, first Velvet Underground album, and he had a very, very great ear to hear new music. My job was to play records that he requested, and I would have to play that record over and over and over again until he said, play another record. He got into like a meditative state when he was working, and the music had to be so repetitious for him. And therefore, I would play uh, a Kinks record, you know, Who's Next in Line, you know, 12, 15 times, you know, straight through. You were with him quite a bit. It was just you and your mother. But mm -hmm. at the same time, your house was always populated. You had a lot of people who came through that house, didn't you? In the late 50s and early 60s, we lived in Beverly Glen in a one-room cottage. And it seemed to be a party there from Saturday night to, to next week, Saturday. <laughs> it was like consistently people coming in and out 24 hours. It was a very much an open house, and a lot of people came by. And uh, I was just a mere little child then. You know, my first memory is always being surrounded by a lot of people. And are there a couple anecdotes with some of those people that you would like to share? Yeah, there's a guy named Rambling Jack Elliott, who is a associate of uh, Bob Dylan at the time. And Rambling Jack Elliott was a, um, a known folk singer. And my first memory was being in my little bedroom. I had a separate little bedroom compared to my dad's and mom's uh, living room where they slept. Uh, there was a party that night. I remember way as a baby, I was facing the window, the bedroom window. And I remember seeing a face approaching the window from the bottom to the up, like somebody was picking himself up on the, on the window edge. And he kept going, he's being very slow. And as I see his face more and more, it was just a face that was full of blood. It was a bloody face. And it was, you know, so it was, it was, as a child, it was totally horrifying. And, he, and apparently he got drunk or he was drunk and he fell down outside of my window and he was just trying to pick himself up from, you know, from the ground. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would don't have those kind of experiences on a regular basis. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask just real quickly about one or two others. I'm a big Rolling Stones fan and I found reading about Brian ah. Jones fascinating. Brian Jones was a very, very close friend of my father and they were introduced to each other by Tony Basil, who is a remarkable figure, a, a great dancer, choreographer, uh, singer. She had a hit song in the eighties called, um, you know, Mickey. And Tony was a very close friend of my father, and she was the person who connected sort of the Bohemian world to the showbiz world. We went to the TAMI show, the Tammy show, not the actual show itself, but we went to the dress Yes, by the way, show. I read that chapter with great envy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fantastic because, you know, we were, we were, it was at the Santa Monica Civic. They were not shooting there, it was just a dress rehearsal, like doing a sound checks and stuff. And I saw the Supremes there, all were, all wearing hair curlers and scarves around their, their heads. And then the Beach Boys came uh, came up, and they were wearing their, their striped shirt, white pants. They were totally in uniform. And in the audience sitting with us was the Rolling Stones. They were just hanging out there, and I think James Brown was in, it was sitting, was, it was in the audience as well. And nobody was there, just my parents, you know, production crew, and some of the artists. And at that point, my dad met Brian Jones and Mick Jagger, and I remember meeting Mick Jagger that day. I was like eight or nine years old, and I shook Mick Jagger's hand, and Mick sort of rubbed my head, you know, top of my head, saying like, oh, you're a cute little type. <laughs> but Brian Jones and my dad really hit it off, and whenever Brian was in Los Angeles, he would come over to our Beverly Lynn house. He would spend, you know, just the whole night drinking wine, smoking pot, and listening to records. And they had a very strong um, relationship, because I think Brian was sort of the type of guy who, he's sort of like the, the wandering aunt who left the, the other aunt 
can pick up where the food is, our information, and then brings that information back to the to the nest of the ants. And Brian, I think, did the same thing for the stones. I think he's the guy who went out to check culture and, and check out the art, and then he'll come back and sort of report back to you know the stones world. He was a really nice. He was really a nice guy. Another interesting story that I think people would want to hear about is how you came to meet Andy Warhol and uh, had a role in one of his movies. I had a role in his first feature-length movie called Tarzan and Jane Regain Sort of. And Warhol and his and his gang uh, came to Los Angeles. I believe they drove across America from New York to Los Angeles. They came to our house in Beverly Glen to shoot. Uh, Tarzan and Jane and Taylor Mead, who is a well-known underground movie star at the time. Taylor played Tarzan. I played boy, and my father played the villain, the the white headhunter villain. And uh, Dennis Hopper's in the film as well, as well as uh, Claus Oldenburg, who's another uh, contemporary artist. It, it was an interesting experience because I'd never been in an environment where somebody's taking a, a shooting a movie with me in it. I have a clear memory of the whole day that I cannot to this day remember Andy Warhol himself. Let's bring things back to your dad a little bit. It seems in retrospect, he's seen as a highly influential figure, even if you said at the time he was influential, but not not all that well-known. Not that well-known, but, but a big influence on fellow artists. A lot of artists were really, really love his work, and they love his personality. The ones who knew him really loved him dearly. I, I don't get the impression that he was seeking a greater level of fame than he had. He had no interest in fame whatsoever, or no interest in having a career in the art. He had no interest in having a career in general. He just didn't care about stuff like that at all. He seemed like he was content just doing what he did and being with his family and following his own muse, so to speak. He, he followed his own muse, but he's also a control freak. I think he liked to control his environment as much as possible. Being famous or getting attention, you sort of lose control of your identity and all of a sudden you're on somebody else's schedule instead of being on your own schedule. And my father did not really want to belong to a gallery because not that he was anti-gallery or anti-gallerist, but he didn't want to have like a show every year or didn't want to be a, a contracted to somebody to produce something. He'd rather produce things on his own terms in his own schedule. There is a quote in your book that I found very, very nice. He said, Wallace and I never really talked. He communicated more in silences than in chit-chat. That sounds rather cold, but that wasn't the case whatsoever. He was a very proud and supportive father. Very true. He, I feel very safe with him. I feel, I feel like he's he always protecting me. He was very much a strong masculine figure in my life, and I never felt uh, in danger when I was with him. When I'm not with him, I felt a little strange, and I felt kind of scared of the outside world. This is a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing, because as a child, I pretty much stayed, and, and as a teenager, very close to my father, and I did not really remove myself from his environment or his landscape at all. Looking back, it is a very wonderful relationship. It's also a very restricting relationship as well. And again, I think it was due to my dad's controlling nature. And his controlling nature is not him getting mad at me or telling me what to do. It's just basically setting the landscape and the world where I'm put in that world and I'm put it in front of him. And that's the way he liked it. What qualities of yourself do you feel are, are directly attributable to how he raised you? I think appreciation of the arts and appreciation of literature and appreciation of being kind to other people and respecting their views, even though I may disagree with them, but they have their, their time and place to do what they want to do. And I do not make judgments on people. Uh, my father and mother are not judgmental at all. They pretty much accept everybody and everything. So sort of a, a respect for the other person, for your neighbor, but do not put your morals on, on them and vice versa. 
But also, my life changed to me radically when my father died. There was my life before my dad died, and then a totally different life after he died. I realized all of a sudden I don't have a father anymore. I feel like I had to relearn how to do things and how to be sociable and how to go out in the world and get a job and, and deal with everyday reality type of stuff. When I was with my father, I really did not have to deal with reality of that sort. Pretty much a, a, a child who was just there to serve a purpose in helping my dad do his work as well as just being a companion to my to Wallace. His death was very shocking to me, and to this day, I, I have a hard time dealing with it. I so accept it, so it doesn't burden me uh, in my life on a daily basis. But it's you know, it, he died in a car accident, and it was just a very sudden and very brutal way of uh, somebody disappearing Absolutely. in your life. Well, well, I'll give you an example. I watched, you know, my dad's on the cover of the Sgt. Pepper album cover. He's one of the faces behind the Beatles. It's kind of amazing because I see that album cover everywhere. I'm so used to seeing the Sgt. Pepper cover everywhere. It doesn't. I, I don't even react to it anymore. But I did watch a documentary on the Beatles, I think on Netflix, not too long ago, maybe about a year ago. And then all of a sudden, they just show like the, the Sgt. Pepper uh, cover, on, the, and I immediately broke into tears. I just I just cried so hard. I never cried so hard in my life before then. And it was this um, reaction. And I feel that feeling is always sort of underneath my skin. Well, I, that makes you a, a very strong person to, to deal with it as successfully as you have. Tosh, what would you like the reader to get out of this book? One thing is sort of a, my point of view of the bohemian world of the 50s and 60s. There have been many books about uh, the hippie movement and the beat movement or the beatniks. And I want to give them a not a realistic point of view or a realistic view of that world. I want to at least put my two cents in what that world was actually like. Well, Tosh, you do exactly that in the book. And I know that anyone who reads the book will come away with an appreciation not only of the times in which you grew up, but also for your father and his amazing art, as well as you and the person that you are. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a it pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tosh. And I want to mention, this is a beautifully written book. Each page is insightful and reflects Tosh's completely unique perspective that really only he can possibly provide. And our show notes provide links to the book. I think you'll really enjoy it. Now, for those folks who tuned in to hear Tosh, welcome. Check out some of the other episodes where I talk with all kinds of people about something special in their lives, because sometimes the most fascinating stories come from folks who don't always have the opportunity to tell them. And if you like like the show, stick with us. Subscribe, give us a good rating and review on iTunes. They say that really helps. But even better, share an episode or two with a friend. That's how we'll spread the word about the so important podcast, The People's Podcast. Thank you. I'll be back soon with a new episode of So Important. See you next time. So